It's a great pleasure uh, to be here at Orkney College. Education Scotland report a couple of weeks ago highlighted the contribution uh, you make uh, uh, to Orkney running courses and everything from accounting to, to Viking studies. Uh, and I'm going to fulfil a, a promise I made on my way around. Uh, this is the uh, proceedings of the Centre for Nordic Studies 2014 conference in the Baltic and Scandinavian Studies at Yale University uh, just this March. Uh, which uh, I've not had a chance to read all of it thus far, uh, but it does indicate the extent and scope and interest uh, that is uh, worldwide in the uh, Centre for, for Nordic uh, Studies. The, uh, it's uh, important that these studies uh, go on, but uh, I've also heard from the, the, the principal that uh, uh, the remarkable figure that there's 100 FE students, 100 higher uh, education students, 25 postgraduates, uh, and some 2,000 people out of the population of these islands of 21,000 avail themselves of the learning and creative opportunities uh, of this college. That is a dramatic figure, <laughs> incidentally. That is a, and there's a, an indication of what a, a central role this college plays in the, uh, in the life of, uh, of these islands. Now, almost uh, a year ago, <coughs> the councils of Orkney, Shetland, and here in the year, uh, launched uh, Our Islands, Our Future campaign. Uh, it was a valuable contribution to the debate which uh, September's referendum has inspired uh, about the sort of country we want to see, the, the Scotland that we seek. Uh, its aim was to ensure that the unique needs of island areas uh, were to be properly acknowledged and recognised in that debate. Uh, and last July, when the uh, Scottish Cabinet met in Lerwick, we gave our response, which uh, uh, I called the, the Lerwick Declaration. And it said, we believe that the people who live and work in Scotland are best placed to make decisions about our future, the essence of self-determination for the nation, and therefore we support subsidiarity and local decision-making applied to the islands of Scotland. So following on from the Lerwick Declaration, we established the Islands Area Working Group, uh, chaired by the Minister of Local Government and Planning, Derek Mackay, and including, of course, the leaders and chief executives of the three councils. Uh, and at the Stornoway Cabinet earlier this year, uh, we were able to give a, an interim report on the progress of the group that had been established from, the, from Lerwick. Uh, and now today, uh, here at Orkney College, uh, we're able to present uh, the culmination of the work that's been done in that group and the joint declaration of empowering Scotland's island communities. And you're right, Derek, it does look a lot better than the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the paper, the command paper from the, uh, from the, uh, the 1980s. And uh, I think we can be safe that there won't be any shortage of people both consulting this document, but more importantly, implementing its conclusions. And I want to thank the uh, officials, the chief executives uh, uh, who took this uh, work on uh, for all the, the work in this process which culminates uh, today. Now, today I'm delighted to, to launch this joint prospectus. All of the proposals we are publishing today apply, of course, to Orkney, to Shetland, and the Hillian and Year, which have unique status as the three all-island authorities in Scotland. Some of the measures will also apply to island communities in North Ayrshire, the Highlands and Islands, and Butte, uh, reflecting Mr Mackay's discussion with these uh, councils across Scotland. Uh, this is therefore a prospectus which applies and is relevant to all of Scotland's island communities. It is a package of measures which can only be delivered in its entirety with Scottish independence, 
It includes proposals about how to ensure that Scotland's constitution and government reflects the needs of island communities, uh, together with practical steps to create jobs and prosperity. Uh, clearly, you need a constitution to have a constitutional commitment. Uh, and as people in, uh, in this audience will know well, that the United Kingdom is one of the few countries, well, it's the only country in Europe and the only country in the Commonwealth of, of Nations, with the exception of perhaps of New Zealand, which has a basic law, uh, which doesn't have a written constitution uh, guaranteeing and empowering and ensuring <coughs> the rights of its citizens. So you need a constitution for a constitutional commitment. Uh, therefore, it's relevant that the Scottish Government today is also launching our proposed interim constitution for a newly independent Scotland and a draft Scottish Independence Bill. That in itself is a hugely significant moment. It demonstrates one of the first and most exciting opportunities an independent Scotland would have, the chance to draw up a constitution which protects these fundamental rights and enshrines fundamental values. Now, the draft interim constitution that we are publishing specifically, that specifically recognises the unique, unique needs of island communities. It will also propose that these needs should be recognised in the permanent constitution. That constitution will be drawn up by a convention uh, in the term of the first independent Scottish Parliament. Now, other actions we propose will ensure that the requirements of island communities are recognised and reflected at the heart of an independent Scottish Government. We'll appoint a, a minister for the island communities and the first government of an independent Scotland. We will introduce an islands bill. That bill will place a duty on the Scottish Government and indeed every public authority in this country to ensure that they consider the impact of proposed policies on island communities. The concept, as it's sometimes called, of island proofing of policies as they are implemented. And Independent Scotland, as a member of the European Union in its own right, will ensure that islands are represented on the Committee of the Regions. These steps will ensure that the importance of our islands can't be ignored. Your interests can never be seen as, quote, peripheral. Your importance will be built in with the bricks in the new constitution. It will be reflected and recognised in the constitutional framework and the governmental structures, the essence of the structures of the new nation from the very beginning. And in addition to those measures relating to the constitution and to governance, uh, we also propose some practical measures to ensure that island communities benefit more directly from the wealth and opportunity generated on these islands. Uh, the marine assets, the, the shores, the coastal waters have always been crucial to the prosperity of island communities. Aquaculture in island council areas, for example, has a value of £282 million in 2012, which is half of the entire total for the whole <coughs> of Scotland. And these coastal waters are becoming ever more important uh, as we have worked to realise Scotland's vast potential in offshore wind and wave and tidal power and work to ensure that the... Uh, Resources work for the people, not just the people, for the resources. The three all-island authorities have potential to produce 5% of the entire electricity demand of these islands, that is the United Kingdom, the whole islands, uh, by 2030. Now, presently, Crown Estate Commissioners manage a range of assets, <coughs> including Scotland's seabed, out to 12 nautical miles. They therefore receive the leasing income from activity in those waters. The Scottish Government uh, believes that communities should retain a share of the revenues from the Crown Estate. There's been some discussion about what the exact percentage of income that should be retained. The White Paper on Independence Scotland's Future made the commitment that it would be more than 
Some people have proposed a, a figure of 80%, which is pretty high. Uh, but the Scottish Government have decided that's not the most appropriate level. So instead we propose that an independent Scotland 100% of the net income from the island seabed is passed to island communities. So revenues from coastal waters will no longer be sent to the Crown Estate in Westminster. Instead they'll be retained from the islands so they can be reinvested for the future. Uh, your resources, natural resources, will be harnessed to promote the well-being of the people who live and work in your communities. I should say, just as an aside here, that the revenue from the Crown Estate doesn't go to the Crown, it goes to the Treasury. <laughs> uh, something which uh, I know some people who are always keen to make and establish that point, just in case there's any dubiety about it. Uh, so that's where the 100% of net income will now, under this formulation, go to island communities itself. We'll also take steps to enhance grid connectivity so that the clean green energy which will be produced on the islands can be transmitted to the mainland. So an independent Scotland will work to ensure that our regulated energy market supports the establishment of these necessary connections. Ladies and gentlemen, I've highlighted three proposals from today's prospectus. Proposals on the constitution, on the governmental structures and on the Crown Estate revenues. There are many other policies set out in the prospectus and issues ranging from crofting to next generation broadband. In transport we have committed to reviewing existing arrangements. Overall today's perspective is the most comprehensive package for empowering Scotland's islands communities that has ever been put forward by any government at any time. It recognises the distinctive needs and priorities that communities have and also recognises the unique contribution that our island communities make. Most of all, though, it recognises that Scotland Islands have huge potential, a wealth of culture, history, stunning landscape, massive, absolutely massive renewable energy resources and many thriving businesses and sectors such as food and drink, life sciences and tourism. It puts that the essence of the argument in economic terms, islands are not a burden on the nation, but a vast opportunity to be nourished and shared. Independence will give us the powers we need to work together to unleash that potential, to create a sustainable and prosperous future. In doing so, we will honour the principles of subsidiarity and local decision-making at the heart of the Lerwick Declaration, but even more importantly, we will help to build a, a wealthier and fairer island communities as part of a wealthier and fairer Scotland. Ladies and gentlemen, looking at this uh, document, what I find particularly impressive uh, is the fact that it puts the practical proposals within the context of a principled approach, both to the Constitution and to government. If you had one without the other, then the trend might be that over a period of time, the practice could be changed if there was no principle underlying the practice. If you had mere principle without the practice, then for many people in these communities, the result would be practical, impractical or meaningless, which is even worse. What's impressive about this document is it combines the constitution, the process of government with the practical implementation of things that will improve the, the position of island communities as a whole, but the welfare of each and every family in our islands. I commend it to this audience, I commend it to our islands, and I commend it to Scotland. Thank you.